people to experience at the cross. Uh, our sin was placed upon Christ fully, and uh, Christ's righteousness was placed upon us. And we uh, have nothing to bring to the negotiation table. There was nothing that we could offer uh, except for our sin. And and you were uh, happy to show us love by by counting us as not guilty and counting us as righteous before you. And so now we uh, no longer fear condemnation. We have peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of that that we sing to you in praises. We, we praise your name. We come to you here now to learn more about you and to, to better uh, conform our lives to the standard that you've established for us. And we pray that you'd help us to do that with regard to our money. We pray that all of our lives would be given in worship to you, but, but, but especially our money as we consider it this morning. We pray for Jonathan and Sandra and the other family members, the loss of Jonathan's mom, and ask for grace during this time and, and that they would be able to look to you for grace, that they would look to the hills from where their help comes from. And we're thankful uh, that you are always near to your children, we pray in Jesus' name. All right, well, we finished last time uh, without completing the entire um, lesson, so I, I put the first, the end of last week's lesson there at the top. God owns everything. We are His stewards. That's the main point that we looked at last week. And three implications from that uh, that I didn't get to and I want to just quickly uh, get to now uh, before we get into this week's study. The first is that this truth that God owns everything frees us from being enslaved to our circumstances. So when you get in a car accident and you have to spend $2,000 to repair your car, $2,000 that you're going to give to the church at the end of the year, um, when you understand that God owns everything and that you're His manager, then, then you recognize that, that God is in control. And you don't have to fear that, oh, I, I couldn't give as much as I wanted to. God owns it all. He can control whatever He wants. That doesn't mean we just loosely uh, uh, splurge our money or, or not care for it. But when things like that happen beyond our control, um, we can recognize that it actually frees us from being enslaved to our circumstances. Number two, it frees us from the tyranny of materialism. Materialism is the idea that when I buy something, it makes me happy. And solely for the purpose of making me happy. Again, we, we looked at First Timothy and saw that God gives us all things richly to enjoy, so it's not wrong to be happy when you buy something. But if that's the primary or the only reason that you're buying the thing, then you've done it for the wrong reason. See, when we understand that God owns everything, it shows us that when I buy something, I buy it for His glory. When I save, I save for His glory. When I give, I give for His glory. And, and sometimes God is glorified in me being happy in what that is, but that's not the primary purpose of my purchase. Thirdly, it frees us to be generous. The world has this constant battle when they want to give between uh, selfishness, should I keep it for myself or should I give it for the sake of others? And so they constantly have this pull. But when we understand this principle that, that we are walking into the art museum of God's creation, so to speak, and none of the art pieces on the wall belong to us, right? Um, 
then then we can recognize that that all of it belongs to God and and so none of it belongs to us and so we can be generous to give it away. That we can glorify God when we spend our money, we can glorify God when we when we save our money, we can glorify God when we give our money. And and in all those things um uh we we can we can do it with God's purposes in view. All right? So, I want to just wrap a bow there on last week's and then before we get into this week, I also wanted to show you some books that that have been helpful for me. Um kind of the uh the the book that I really started on with when when it came to money from a biblical perspective was Larry Burkett. This is actually um I wonder what year this was. I've gotten this one recently. It was the the original was written in 1975. So if you've been around church for a while, you've heard of Larry Burkett, and here's one of his books. He's got lots of them, and he he starts out with these same kinds of principles that we do, uh, that I did last week, which is that God owns it all. We are His managers, uh, which I think is a biblical um, it's a biblical um, principle that we need to to understand. So there, there's one author that you can find lots of books from him. Probably the the most popular book out there now is Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, and he's got all sorts of other books as well. He's got a radio program. Uh, you can find them all over the internet. If you find anything um, on Christians and giving, Dave Ramsey's your guy. But um, I I would say take what you hear from him with a grain of salt. Okay, he he's basically he uses a lot of the principles that Larry Burkett uses. Um, a lot of biblical principles, but he also does it with a little bit of an edge. Okay, so um, I don't agree with everything he says, and I find myself liking him less and less over time. But but I do like this book. Um, he has some really basic principles for how to get out of debt. And so if you're in that position, or really anywhere you are financially, he can tell you where you need to go for the next step. And really, he talks about baby steps, and that's really what uh, I think is very helpful. My favorite book, uh, actually, before I, I read any of Dave Ramsey's stuff, um, I read this book by Ron Blue called Master Your Money. So I put all these on the back of the handout. Uh, no, I didn't. I put them all on there for next week. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but you will have those on the back of your handout for next week. This is called Master Your Money, step-by-step financial plan. So same sort of thing. Where are you um, with regard to your finances? Because we we uh, we're not going to get into all those details uh in this class we're we're kind of looking at an overview in these five classes but if you want details you know you, you're you're swimming in debt uh or drowning in debt maybe um that's those are the kinds of books you need to to go to and find some step by step or talk to another mature christian or someone who's who's well established with their finances in our church and um and figure out what the next step is okay take take baby steps uh, so you can get to where uh, you ought to be financially. All right. All that was the introduction. Now it's time to, to get started on this week's topic of giving. God's purpose. Uh, I actually put the wrong title on there. It actually should be uh, The Grace of Giving to the Church. If you haven't noticed, I just um, take last week's thing and just change the last week's handout and I just changed the wording on it. So that actually should not, should not be God's purpose for wealth. That was last week. This should be called the grace of giving to the church. The grace of giving to the church. Okay.
in the 80s, there was a, a rock band called Van Halen that had a very interesting clause in their performance contract. They were one of the first of the biggest bands that came onto the scene that, that required uh, a, lot of, <clears throat> a lot of detail when it came to putting it on their shows. It wasn't a smaller band, and so they had to play at larger facilities, and people had to be very careful about <clears throat> how they uh, took care of all of their, their necessities. In their contract, Article 126 stipulated that a bowl of M&Ms must be provided backstage, but with every single brown M&M removed. If the band arrived and found any brown M&Ms, they were free to cancel the contract on the spot and receive full payment uh, for all the, the ticket funds. So why was it that they hated brown M&Ms? They're just trying to stick it to the people. They're trying to show how big, big they were. It was actually a safety thing. Again, they, they, they were coming out of the scene at a time when, when some of these facilities weren't really prepared for that big of an event. Uh, the typical band would have three tractor trailers worth of equipment, and Van Halen had nine tractor trailers worth of equipment. And so mistakes were common and potentially life-threatening, especially if the stage that they were playing on could not support the weight. And so they put this little thing in the clause in, in their contract to see if the, the people that they had the contract with were actually paying attention, if they read the contract. If they read the contract, they would see their little bowl of M&Ms and it would be exactly as they wanted it. If not, then um, as the lead singer said, when I would walk backstage, if I saw a brown M&M in that bowl, well, we better line check the entire production and guarantee that this thing... Uh, and I can guarantee you that we will run into a problem. At one time, he had such a huge fit that he made a lot of damage backstage. He was so mad because the people hadn't done what they were supposed to. It seems silly at first, but a detail like that turns out to be hugely important. Now, to put it in a more biblical framework, those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. Okay? Those who are mature Christians are concerned about the minor details of the Scripture. They're not... Just, you know, I'll just look at the big picture. You know, I, I want to serve God. I want to glorify God. Well, what does that mean? And that brings us to our topic this morning of giving. How can we be good managers with the little that we have or the much that we've received from God? And to answer that question, we're going to answer the questions, why, what, where, and how of Christian giving. Why, what, where, and how. So the first question, why should Christians give? Why should Christians give? Let's turn to Matthew 13. And then I'll ask for volunteers after that. So we'll have several verses to, uh, to look up this morning. Matthew 13. The first reason why we should give is because giving shows how great God is. We give because it shows how great God is. That's what uh, Moses understood in, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. It says that Moses regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And so when we, when we give, we see that there's something more important than the money that I'm holding on to. Right? I can give it away because I see something more important. I see someone more important. That is God. 
That's what Moses was willing to do. He gave up the treasures that the world had to offer that he could have enjoyed in his position uh, because he, he saw that God was more worthwhile. Look at chapter 13, and would someone read verses 45 and 46? Okay, so in contrast to the rich young ruler who went away sad because he wasn't willing to, this this person here in this parable is is uh, is a person who recognizes the great value of serving God, of pursuing the kingdom of God, and he's willing to sell whatever it takes in order to find this great pearl, this this great value, um, that is a, a relationship. With God, and so giving shows us that there is something of greater value than money. It shows us that God is great. Secondly, God generously gives to us. The second reason why we give is because God generously gives to us. Not only does giving acknowledge God's priority over all things, but giving also is the right response to what God has generously done for us. So let me have some. Uh, Volunteers to read, um, so we'll, we'll just go ahead here. I'm gonna I'm gonna read Second Corinthians, but someone Matthew six, Jonathan Matthew six twenty one and twenty four, Luke six thirty eight, Evan Second Corinthians nine, Ken that'll be verses six seven and twelve, Colossians four five, Bob, um, let's see. We'll we'll stay here in Matthew when we get there. How about First uh, Corinthians nine, Paul. First Corinthians nine twenty one. We'll start there and see how we do. So God generously gives to us. Paul says in Second Corinthians eight nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That is a proper motivation for our giving. That's answering the question of why. Motivation. Why should we do it? It's because Christ has given to us. Right? We've received so much riches in Christ, uh, particularly our salvation, all the relationships that we have in Christ, the, uh, the freedom from guilt and, and shame, the freedom to give. All those things that we receive from Christ is a great motivation for us to give. When we give, we acknowledge our spiritual abundance that we have. Thirdly, giving promotes godliness. Giving promotes godliness. We give because God is worthy and because He's more generous to us through Christ. But we also give here because uh, of, we want to promote godliness in ourselves and others. So listen to Matthew 6.21. Okay, so God has given us, each one of us, a finite amount of money. And some of that we need to live on. And some of that we should use to pay down debt. Some we should save, be responsible. But, but we need to give the rest away. Because if we don't, then we, we have come into... The, um, we have actually uh, come into danger of hoarding our money. Right? We, we have more than we need, more than we need to pay down debt, more than we need to save, and now we're hoarding the rest. 
using it for our own purposes and not for God. And hoarding or being stingy with our money is, is a spiritual acid. It will eat away at our commitment to Christ and it will mean that we're putting our trust not in the heavenly treasures that Jonathan just read about, but, but into what can please us now. Listen to verse 24. Jonathan. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So if we put our hearts into our money and and our our have become stingy with it and, and hoard it and hoard that money, then we actually start to eat away at our commitment to Christ and try to, at the same time, serve both God and money, which cannot be done according to Jesus. So, giving helps us keep our priorities straight. Giving also, with regard to godliness, giving helps us to recognize and acknowledge God's ownership of all that we have. Giving helps us to acknowledge God's ownership that all um, of all that we have. That, it, that our money, our possessions, are first and finally God's. And that's why God says in, in Malachi 3, 8-10, He accuses the Israelites that they had not given to Him. Right? You remember, He says, you, you're robbing Me. How are you robbing Me? Well, you're, you're not giving to Me. You're giving Me the lame animals. Right? You're giving Me the, the ones that are spotted or, or blind, and I don't want them. Uh, you're actually robbing Me of what belongs to Me, which is the first of your resources, the best of your resources. All that we have is God. And as we discussed last week, not just the portion we set aside to give to a non a religious nonprofit, you know, a church. That's not just God's. All of it belongs to God, right? We again the the museum, the art museum idea. We walk into this art museum, we don't own anything on the walls, and so we can't just start taking that and say, This belongs to me. It all belongs to God and we use it for his glory and his alone. Thirdly, under uh godliness here. Giving helps encourage others to give thanks and praise to God. Uh, someone have Second Corinthians nine six seven and twelve. Ken. So, do you want Thanksgiving to abound in more and more people? Uh, we, we sing a song that says, you know, we long to see our churches full of all the chosen race um, who went with one voice and heart and soul sing of Thy redeeming grace. So, do you want to see churches full of people who are praising God for His grace? Well, one of the ways that you can do that is by giving. Because here Paul's saying, when you give this gift to the, the Christians in Jerusalem... Then, then your service is actually bringing up lots of thanksgiving from more and more people. So, uh, just as an example, you know that can happen here in this church, but it can also happen with regard to the money that we give to missions. You know, when when you gave, this wasn't financial primarily, but some of you did give financially. But but when you gave for the sake of these gifts that we took over to Japan, 
there was thanksgiving that abounded to God's glory because of your gift. Okay, that, that happens over and over and over again. So we give in order to help encourage others to give thanks and praise to God. Fourth, under giving promotes godliness. Giving helps to bring about blessing. If we give, then we'll be blessed. Now, this is often a misunderstood principle because it seems like, man, we, we shouldn't have our own interests in mind. But, but as Ken just read, uh, when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But when you sow generously, you also reap generously. See, see what God there is doing? He's given us an incentive. One of the reasons that you sow in this way is so that you'll reap. Now, it may not come in the form of, of financial reaping. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But, but, um, but it will come in the form of spiritual reaping. And so that's not a wrong motivation to have. That it will bring about your own spiritual blessing. Listen to Luke 6.38. Okay, so Jesus is saying, give, and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And when we studied this in Luke, I said that I think what he was getting at was a farmer, uh, a farming illustration. The farmer would have a long robe, and he would take up the front of the robe and hold it like this, and some would fill up his, his robe with grain. And what Jesus is saying is, is that you're going to have that kind of filling so that it is, it is a good measure pressed down, shaken together, make sure there's no air pockets down there so it's all full and running over. It's flowing over the top. Jesus says, when you give, that's what happens to you. That's what comes back to you. God is going to fill you up. God gives reward to those who give. This is a godly motivation. This is not uh, something that you should uh, dismiss quickly. You know, I, I only want to give for God's purposes. No, give for God's purposes as He blesses you. God can be glorified in that. Don't be more spiritual than the Scriptures. Because uh, God actually delights in showing mercy to you and giving back to you. Now, sadly, this has been taken too far of an extreme uh, by people in our day with the prosperity gospel. You have these so-called Christian teachers who get this wrong and skew what God has promised. And even some honest evangelicals do the same. They say that God's blessing for giving must include material prosperity. And this is what I'm trying to guard us against. When I give financially, God has to give me back financially. No, He doesn't. And that's the prosperity gospel. This says that you, God has to give you back financially. See, they say that God's blessing for giving must include this material prosperity and that blessing is for now, this lifetime. So you have a man like T.D. T. D. Jakes who tells us that if we plant a miracle faith seed by writing him a check, then God will heal our marriages and He will heal our bank accounts. He will fill them up. Or another teacher might tell you that the reason that you're not able to get out of debt is because you don't give to your church. Those that teach that... Uh, incorrectly define the blessings of happiness and success by the world's standards. See, but material wealth is not a trustworthy measure of holiness. The, the richest people are not necessarily the, the, the holiest people, right? And the poorest people are not necessarily the most wicked. 
Okay, so that's not a good measure for success. It's not a good measure for success in churches as a whole. You know, the bigger the church, the more holy they are. And it's not a good measure for you individually either. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, God did seem to tie material blessing to obedience. But even there, you had some anomalies, didn't you? Like in Psalm is it 73 or 74, where the psalmist says, you know, why is it that the wicked prosper? You know, why was it that Job, you know, the example of Job, why, why was it that he, a righteous man, didn't have much after it was taken away from him? See, so you do have some anomalies, although in general, in the Old Testament, God's blessing seemed to be tied to obedience. But clearly, on this side of the cross, uh, God's blessing primarily is tied to spiritual things. Now, that doesn't mean when you give financially, you're going to receive spiritual blessings unless... Uh, you recognize that when it's given properly, those spiritual blessings may not come in this lifetime. They may actually come in the next lifetime. Certainly, there are spiritual blessings for this lifetime. Again, more and more people lift up their praise to God. Um, you certainly can have a right relationship with God as you give. But but when we do it to say, you know, I, I need to do this, God, and I'm making an exchange with you. Okay, I, I'm buying or negotiating with you. I give you the money, you fix my marriage. Okay, I, I give you the money... You take care of my kid when he goes on this trip. You know, uh, we we have to be careful with that sort of mentality because God hasn't promised those types of things. So the prosperity gospel is very prevalent and uh, very dangerous. It it seems to stick most in in poorer cultures. So pretty much everywhere that I've been on the globe, the prosperity gospel is is taking root. And uh, sadly, it's because. Satan comes as an angel of light and he mixes some of the truth with, with uh, a clear lie. And so we have to guard ourselves against that, especially in our um, materialistic culture. All right. Any questions or comments on why we should give on the prosperity gospel? All right. Next question, what should Christians give? So we've answered the question why, but there's another big question, what do we give? Now, I didn't say how much should we give. For the moment, I want to keep our topic a little bit broader here. So what should we give? And, and the, the first answer is everything. Right? If God owns it all, not just our money, but every single asset that we have, if God owns it all, then we need to give it all back to God. In some way. So, for example, Paul writes in Romans 12:1, the the familiar verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and based on the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable reasonable service of worship. So, we should give ourselves, not just our gifts. How about Colossians 4:5? Does someone have that one? Okay, so every opportunity you have, give it back to God. Do you have an opportunity to to use it for the sake of God? Then give it to God. He's not talking about money there. He's talking about just um, something more general. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Not just with your money. Not not just your money belongs to God. Money is just one piece of the larger puzzle for how we can use every gift every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar to proclaim the glory of God with every minute that He gives us on His earth. So whether it's your time, 
your family, your resources, your house, your car, your, your possessions, your food, whatever it is. Your money, yes, but, but all those other things as well. Use it for God's purposes. Sometimes we think that God's goal for our money is that we live on as, as little as possible so that we can give as much as possible to the church. And, of course, you know, we see the example of the widow with her two mites, and, and God is honored in that. But, that, but that. but that, I think, if we force that onto ourselves and to others, may be taking a narrow view of how to honor God with your money. Did you ever think that it may actually be better use for you to actually hire someone to do something that you could do on your own, but it will save you a lot of time so that you can spend money on something else of value spiritually? Remember, you're going to give an account not just to how you spent your money, I, but God. Yes, I, 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 I used up all my time. I didn't have any time for some of the things that I should have, but, but I did give all my money to, to the church. You have to acknowledge that. You see, God's going to take an accounting of everything, isn't He? Do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7? He condemned them for not taking care of their parents. Now think about this with me. Do you remember what they were using that money for? What was it? Do you remember the word? It was it was Corbin. They have attributed all of this money that could have been used for the help of their parents as Corbin. What did Corbin mean? Do you remember? A gift to God. And Jesus says, I don't want your gift. Go help your parents. That's what you should be doing with your money. You see, the, the Pharisees had earmarked their disposable income for gifts for a gift to God, Corbin. And Jesus says, God doesn't want it. And He doesn't want your promise. He wants you to take care of your parents. So let me try to summarize this for you. Sometimes the most godly thing that you can do with your money is not to give it to the church, but rather to take care of your family. Sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is take care of your family rather than give it to the church. Your money can do a lot of good things. It can surely fund the ministry of this church, but it can also pay for someone to, to, to fix your plumbing that you could have done. It would have taken you hours, but, but you could have done it. You could have paid somebody to do it, though, in order that you could meet up with a, a discouraged friend in the church. It freed you up a few hours so that you could meet up with somebody. Your money can be used as God's provision for a Christian friend struggling with debt. Your money can help you enjoy God's creation at the top of a distant mountain. And we can go on and on. So, instead of trying to save every last penny by doing it ourselves, right? You know, some people are just jack-of-all-trades. They can just get everything done in the house. They're like, the most godly thing I can do is just save money so I can be giving more to the church. Well, well, actually, it might be more helpful for you to pay someone to do something so that you have more time to work on your marriage or to spend more time with your kids. And, and those, are some, those are some thoughts and evaluations that you have to make. You, you need to talk to your spouse if you're married, and you need to certainly talk to God and, and look at the Scriptures and evaluate, okay, what is it that I have to give an accounting for? Hey, what are my base obligations within my relationships? Am I giving up time that I should be spending with, fill in the blank, whether it's job or 
family? Am I giving up that time in order to try to save a few pennies over here? So we should give everything. Our entire lives belong to God. God's going to uh, hold us to an to account for what we do with all of those things. But more specifically, how how much money should we give to the church? How much money should we give to the church? Now I have a uh, a sermon. I think it's online, Malachi chapter three. Um, when when it's talking about tithing. And um, and there in the Old Testament, and I make a case that we are no longer under the Old Testament tithe. Okay, so if you want to to hear what I'm about to say in more detail, please look up that sermon online and um, and benefit from it. But but I think it'd be helpful for us to at least to consider what what was demanded of the Old Testament uh, Jew. This would be both believer and unbeliever. Old Testament Jew. There are three different tithes that were collected. The first in Leviticus 27 was a tithe of all the produce and flocks that were supposed to be set aside for the Lord. The, the tithe was given to the Levites, and the Levites would be enabled to, um, to, to take care of the full-time service of the, the tabernacle and the temple. And, and the, the Levites also were supposed to give a tithe of their resources to God as well. And that's how God funded the, the worship of Himself in Israel uh, in the Old Testament. Second tithe, so that was 10%. Tithe, by the way, just means 10%. Okay? Uh, second, in Deuteronomy, we see that a tenth of one's produce and flocks were to be eaten at a, uh, at a, at a yearly sanctuary festival. So God was saying, listen... Take a tenth of what you have and celebrate it in worship to me. So what God's doing here is He's commanding people to save up for a big part, a party every year in His honor. Okay, I'm the king. You're supposed to be doing it in my honor. But but enjoy yourself at this big feast that I'm essentially putting on for your sake. Remember, First Timothy, part of bringing glory to God is actually enjoying the gifts that He gives us. He's not just saying, here, you, you really have to feel the sacrifice, feel the weight of what you're doing. No, enjoy it. You know, that, that's why I set up this festival for you. So that's another 10%. That's 20% so far. And then finally we see that every third year, a tithe was to go into the local storehouse to feed the poor Levites, the foreigners, the orphan, orphans, and the widows. So a 10% of your resources every third year, which would be about 3% every year if we averaged it out. So 23% was the standard. We think 10% in the Old Testament. Actually, 23% was the, the baseline standard that God expected of every Jew. Now, the difference is that for the Old Testament economy, that was actually how they... Uh, it, it was a much like an income tax, right? They were, uh, uh, there was a monarchy, effectively, where you had a king and you had subjects and the way that the, the whole society was, was taken care of, particularly though the worship of himself was through this 23% uh, tithe. We don't want to think about it like a tax, but, but it was... Uh, meant to be a gift to God. Even before uh, Old Testament Israel laws were set up, you had Abraham giving 10% to Melchizedek and Jacob promised 10% to God in Genesis 28. So you have this pattern of giving to God um, for the sake of His glory. But we come to the New Testament and it's interesting that nowhere in the New Testament are we commanded to give 10%. In fact, the word tithe is only used a few times and, and every time it's used, it's used in reference to what happened in the Old Testament. 
Nowhere does Paul say you must tithe to your local church. And that's why you, you will not find me using the word tithe when I speak of giving. I, I use the word offering or gifts. Um, I think tithe is a misunderstood term and is something that's meant for Old Testament believers, not for New Testament. Again, see my sermon there from Malachi. So what happened to the 10%? Um, those are all part of the regulations of the Old Testament. And when Jesus comes along, remember, He announces in the Sermon on the Mount that He's fulfilled the entire Old Testament law. All the worship, the ordinances were pointing to Him. They, they focused on Him and now He's fulfilled it all. So no, we no longer are under the Mosaic Law. We're under the law of Christ. No longer did anyone need um, to bring this temple tithe. Let's see, did I have someone with Matthew 17? I'm going to have Matthew 17, 25, 26. Oh, we're, I, I said we were going to look at that one. Yeah, you're in Matthew 14 if, if you didn't look up a verse. Matthew 17, 25 and 26. So where did the where did the Old Testament tithing system go? Yeah, can you read that? He said yes, and when he came into the house, he spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom did the kings of the earth collect customs or whole tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open his mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Alright, so Jesus is coming along and saying this poll tax for the temple that was required in the Old Testament, you're actually exempt from that, but don't cause a stir. Just go ahead and pay it. I, I've, I've set the money aside for you in this fish's mouth. Um... But we're no longer. The point is, we're no longer under the Old Testament uh, Israel's legal, economic, or social laws by subject of of what Christ has done. So, so does that mean that that if you that that you are in sin, if you don't give ten percent of your income to the church, not necessarily. Okay, some of you, I think probably should be giving more like 20 or 30% based on the amount of money that you make. But but maybe God is pleased with you with giving just 5% because you need the rest of it to to take care of your family. So, New Testament giving uh, puts away the Old Testament demand for a tithe. And... Um, so we must give in keeping with our income. First Corinthians 16 says that, and um, and so we should give sacrificially and generously. Let me just quickly go through these because we're running out of time. Sacrificially, we see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus says, uh, "Apologize." Did someone else have a verse that I didn't call on? All right, I'll I'll read these. Um, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Matthew 16:24. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 12:1. Offer your bodies as a living, living what? Sacrifice. So it's it's a sacrificial sort of giving, not just your life, but but your money as well. 
And so we see sacrificial giving as something that's expected by God. So the way that you can think about that is, you, you know, you might be thinking of a percentage. What kind of percentage should I give? And maybe a general principle that would help you is that you should give, give your money to the point that it hurts. Okay, Give your money to the point that it hurts. But in doing this, you have to avoid two potential errors. The first is the one that says, if your budget isn't painfully tight, you're not giving enough. So keep a really, really tight budget. That's not always true. It's not, necessar- uh, it's not necessarily sin to accumulate wealth. Abraham did that. Job did that. But we should live a life that's painfully tight and giving ourselves away. And so we have to avoid that sort of error of, of forcing this kind of conviction um, that we have about giving on everyone else or forcing it on ourselves when the Scriptures haven't done so. So we we got to guard against that error. The second error is is the the one that says comfort and Christianity can co- coexist. They they can exist together. But remember, we're in a battle. Okay, we don't reserve resources when they need to be used. We we need to use those resources for the sake of the battle. Here's what Paul says in Second Timothy two. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So in battle time, you're, you're, you're willing to and you recognize the need to sacrifice what you have for the sake of your commanding officer. second theme that should guide our giving is the theme of generous giving. This is the second term that comes up over and over again in Scripture's uh, in New Testament particularly. Second Corinthians 9.6, this is what uh, Ken read earlier. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So this is actually taken from a farming metaphor. Uh, if you plant a little bit, don't expect a huge crop. Okay, Like the faithful stewards we talked about last week, God likes for us to take risks Okay, so so give out, pour pour it out, pour out the seed of giving generously, and expect God to generously bless uh, spiritually. So we should give generously to support our local church, to support our missionaries, uh, maybe even to help our neighbors in time of need, to to love on our families, to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. How much should we give? We should give everything. It all belongs to God. Um, both of what we give and what we keep back, all of it belongs to God. How much we give is, um, is, is really something that you need to determine on your own. Here's, here's a principle that I came across as I was looking through this. Um, I don't, yeah, I do have it printed there on your handout. Give so that the money you're spending on your own needs brings God equal or greater glory than it would if you were to give it away. Okay, so can you can God receive glory from you actually not giving? That's what I was talking about earlier. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is is use your money on your family. Okay, now where that line is, that's the difficult one because we look at ourselves in light of other cultures and so on, and and it's it's difficult to make that determination. But uh, we will talk about uh, more of that next week when we look at spending and budgeting. All right. Um, I did terrible on time management today. Apologize for that. 
I'm going to have to stop there. Um, does anyone have any specific questions on anything or comments on why or how to give? I need to figure out. Oh, sorry, Phil. doesn't like it when people disagree with him. But, um, but again, that's why I said take what he has to say with a grain of salt because he does have some solid money principles that, that are helpful. If you don't like him, there, again, these, there's other good authors that can, that can help with money in that way. Have a question too, or the comment? Okay. All right. So, no financial peace university here is what Bill's saying. We're not going to offer any classes. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, no matter who you have, uh, you, you have to recognize that no one is is uh, spot on in everything, including myself. So you need to take what is good, hold on to it, hold fast to it. And then um, cling, cling to it. You know, um, discard the evil. Um, and then, yeah, if you need to, if, if you have that strong of a feeling against them, plenty of other good authors that that will um, get you on the right track financially. Um, I think it does start with a good foundation that is spiritual understanding of God's resources, and that's why, again, I like Ron Blue the best, and uh, I would commend that book to you. In fact, I'm. Probably put that on the uh, one of the uh, books of the month month uh, list for you at some point. All right, anything else? All right, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for our Savior that He gave Himself for us. We are motivated to give because of that. We're happy to give. We're, we we recognize that none of what we have belongs to you, and help us to keep that in view as we come into conflict because those are the times when our faith is really tested and, and we are shown for who we really are. And, and we, we don't want to forget during those times of crisis that, that all of it belongs to you. So help us to be happy to sacrifice and to be generous in the way that we give because the most important thing in all of life is that you are honored. And so help us in Jesus' name. Amen.